0: One of my greatest values and priorities for holding both is to foster community. I offer multiple support and process groups that are held from the vantage point of a occupational therapist who specializes in mental health and women's health. I call these my support circles. In May, the complete circle begins. This group is tailored to those deciding to end their secondary infertility journey without a second child. This will be a safe space to hold gratitude for motherhood as it is even though it looks different than one might have pictured initially. The topic of this podcast aligns with the theme of this group. If this is relatable to you and you would like more information, please email me at ally@holdingbothllc.com. at That is A-L-L-I-E at holdingbothllc.com or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. Hi, my name is Allie. Welcome to the Secondary Infertility Podcast. I'm an occupational therapist with training in mental health, women's health, and health literacy. I experienced secondary infertility and loss myself, and I know that there is complexity in holding both the joys of motherhood and the pain and yearning that comes along with infertility at the same time. I want to be a conversation catalyst for this very important topic. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Hi, welcome back to the Secondary Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Allie, and I am here with my friend, Diana Lunsford. Diana Lunsford has been an occupational therapist for over 30 years. She has worked in a variety of settings and is currently a professor and program director for occupational therapy doctorate program at Gannon University in Ruskin, Florida. She enjoys traveling a great deal, especially service-based travel for medical missions. Welcome, Diana. Hi Allie. great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So as I mentioned, Diana was one of my professors in grad school, and she is now my friend. After we graduated after I graduated from the program, we became friends, and I have gotten to know her a lot more since then. So it's been 9 years since I've graduated from OT school. Occupational therapy is my professional background, so I thought it would be very valuable to have someone who is an expert in the field come on. And talk about our field, but then also talk about some of the valuable things she has to offer. So, Diana, could you tell me a little bit more about your professional background and especially your background with medical missions and medical service-based trips? Yeah, so – so.
1: Saying that I've been an OT for over 30 years makes me sound really old. <laughs> I guess I am. But I, I have been an OT. I was an OT back when our OT degree was a bachelor's degree. So I have since completed a post professional OTD as well. So, and I. I am a specialist, I'm a certified hand therapist, but I consider myself a generalist because I have worked in a variety of settings. So from acute care inpatient, I worked for level one trauma as a new grad for several years burn unit variety, the gamut. I've done some home care and um, wheelchair evaluations. And yeah, just a variety of things. I think peds is probably one of the only things I haven't done. And, and then I was also blessed to work with an acquaintance of mine at the time in, in an externship of sorts in a behavioral health unit in Michigan. So even you know, I was teaching some of the psychosocial content and I felt like I needed to prepare myself. So I was able to do that, which was pretty pretty unique experience. And um, and in terms of travel, I love to travel just in general. Um, I love to learn about different um, cultures and countries and practices. Uh, I have been involved in several medical missions and um, have taken students um, on level one international experiences as well. You and I shared that in uh, Ibarra, Ecuador. And uh, I think those experiences could be transforming for students. I know they have been for me as a person and professional.
0: So you can definitely learn a great deal about yourself. Definitely. I felt like when we went to Ecuador together, that's something I want to talk about a little bit later here. But when we went to Ecuador together, I remember having a conversation about mental health OT, And I remember you talking, and I can't even remember how we got onto the topic, but you were talking about the concept of validation in mental health. And that was the first time that I heard about that concept. And now I feel like it is so big in terms of everything I do here at Holding Both. Could you tell me about validation?
1: Well, I think, you know, to validate yourself or someone else, their thoughts, their feelings isn't necessarily to agree with them, but is to understand that their experience is real and to support them in that. And in saying that, you know, I I can see why you may feel that way, or I can see why you may think that way, as opposed to saying, well, you'll be fine. Oh, that wasn't a big deal, when it may have been a big deal for you. And and I think we'd, we've been programmed to, to invalidate so that we're not necessarily focused on things that bring us stress or negativity, but that invalidation can really be harmful to our our well-being, to think that we might be crazy or we might be over-exaggerating something when these experiences are real for us. So yeah, that's that's my take on validation. Now, I'm no... no-
0: yeah, I just remember sitting at that, that table. We were at a coffee shop and we were with... A couple other people. Lisa, if you're listening, I think you read the table too. And I remember having that conversation. And I think that that's so much of what I stand for and what I do now with holding both is that women who are in this scope of secondary infertility often feel invalidated or feel are are made to feel as if their desires and if their wants and needs are maybe a little bit less important because they already have a child or children, which I absolutely disagree with. And for anybody who is familiar with Holding Both and anybody who's seen my content, you will know that validation is very, very important to me. So I digressed a little bit, but I felt like that was an important tangent. And I know that you and I do that a lot in our conversations as we go off. And so I wanted to backtrack a little bit. Can you tell me your elevator pitch of what is occupational therapy?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked. My elevator pitch of what occupational therapy is is a holistic approach to health, wellness, prevention, rehab and maintenance. Period. Yep. If I was going to do a a 30 less than 30 second pitch, that's what it would be because it, it we work with people across the lifespan. We work with people of all ages, and a disability types, those that are looking to prevent from a primary perspective, and then of course the rehab aspect. So there is all of those things I think rolled into one. And is this a simple definition is tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually one of the one of the assignments I give students is to um, read five published definitions, examine them, and then out of those five, five that speak to them, we know there's hundreds of them, create one of their own. Yeah, so I think it's important to be able to to articulate it and then should someone have time and energy and interest to be able to to go into further depth? you know, because OT is so broad and it is so holistic, holistic from you know, looking at all the areas of uh, a person, psychosocial areas, leisure interests, the physical pieces, all of those things make us up as a person. So you can't forego any of those areas to, to truly be health, healthy, and and um, well as a person, but we work in all of those areas, so it's really about your perspective. And so it's easy to relate it to someone who has had a stroke. Or in the rehab uh, arena or for me in an orthopedic or hand therapy arena uh, for someone uh, from a, a mental health perspective and trying to balance stress and deal with um, coping or overwhelming feelings of um, depression and sadness. So all of those things make us up who we are. So that's yeah, a long, it was, gentle answer. No,
0: it was a great, I feel like that was a great definition. I So I take withholding both. I feel like I take occupational therapy in a completely different direction than it's seen traditionally. When I was going through infertility while I had a child, I felt like my IADLs, uh, my instrumental activities of daily living, as we call them, were very disrupted. And I felt like I had to use my knowledge and my lens as an occupational therapist to make my life feel more manageable. So what you were describing there, it, it's it's great for people to be able to understand and see what occupational therapy can do across the whole lifespan, but across a variety of settings. And I think sometimes when people think occupational therapy, they think a disability or an injury and the the less traditional aspects, you know, that I'm addressing – aren't often seen. Um, And so I felt like your definition of occupational therapy or your elevator pitch, like we like to say, encompassed uh, what I do as well. So um, next, I wanted to talk about um, your travel a little bit more in terms of one of your favorite service-based travel occupational therapy experiences.
1: Well, so service for me has come in a couple of different forms. So my first exposure to to a medical mission was with a hand surgeon and his wife that I was working alongside, and they had gone several times to El Salvador and I would listen to their stories as they came back, and I I thought, well, how do I get involved in that? I want to do that. I'd never done it before. I've heard, I thought that was only for people that were really churchy, and you had to be involved at a different level, and this mission did include some of of the religious aspects. It was a Catholic mission, um, but I appreciated that, and I went as an OT. I went as a therapist, and there I did a variety of things. I I assisted, uh, I was able, uh, fortunately for me, to assist um, the surgeon in in a variety of ways Uh, in surgery and outside of surgery, uh, took care of the patient's post-op as an OT and hand therapist. Um, But I also went out with a group and I I did uh, kind of back school for um, those people working, laboring in fields and and a variety of things that are experiencing back pain or trying to protect hernias. So that that I had done El Salvador uh, mission with that group for about 6 years on and off some and when I got into academics a little over 10 years ago I I I realized for myself I had been exposed in my life where I lived and through some travel to a variety of cultures and diversity and I was really passionate about that. So I wanted to bring that into into a group of students that that uh, we're we're more or less a fairly homogenous group. I feel like OT is a fairly homogenous group. Women, very very limited in our diverse backgrounds, and we are representing people in general. So anyway, I thought I thought it would be fun and it would be important to expose students to another culture. And I was connected with someone in Ecuador. Shout out to Elaine, Keen, and Crisier. And went and took took students there as a level one experience with great students and um, some great colleagues that they had accompanied us and and we have done a variety of things at Gannon as well. Uh, went back to Ecuador, also to Spain, and um, I'm not going, but I've got a, a one of my colleagues that will be going to Granada on, on an um, interprofessional experience with our OT students and our speech and language pathology students too. So I think those experiences are wonderful from an educational standpoint. But again, I go back to what I've learned and how I've grown personally in understanding um, a life that's different than mine, practices that are unique, and and perhaps not necessarily what I've been familiar with or assumed. And and those those things kind of confront you in the right in the face when when you're seeing them and you're immersed in it. And I think it's I love it. I think it's wonderful. And I have moved from from that sort of providing OT service. the the physical pieces of OT service to now doing service uh, on a professional level and working with other OTs in different countries and providing some um, didactic based presentations to help. Not everybody's education is the same as ours in the Western world. So, and even when it is, we still have things to share. I learn, I learn from other therapists around the world as much as I've been able to share the little pieces that I have been. So I don't do nearly enough of it I'd like to do more of it but I've been blessed to be able to to share to some degree in that way
0: as well from an academic sort of perspective and you've recently traveled to Japan can you tell me a little bit about that yes well my japan
1: experience what recently had nothing to do with academics has everything to do with my daughter who has recently moved there to uh, teach english so the girl after my own heart so she has a wanderlust in her that i don't think she even knew existed and she's really enjoying herself there and coming to appreciate a very different culture than what she's been accustomed to but but enjoying every moment
0: that's amazing something that a goal that i have for holding both this year is to integrate more of more information, more experiences from people who are doing things during their difficult times to help ease their pain or to get their minds off of things or to enrich their lives in other ways as they're in a season of waiting or as they're in a season of difficulty I have a friend that I met through the mastermind course that I am in Ashley who is a travel agent so I'm really hoping to talk more about these type of things this year withholding both like travel and other things that enrich people's lives instead of focusing as much on the the difficulties at hand that secondary infertility brings because everybody knows that they're there and I I I want to share as much as I can information-wise about, about secondary infertility, about you know these topics. But I also really want to bring into and integrate into holding both what makes life wonderful during these times. And I feel like that's a very holding both thing. So travel is one of those things I want to focus on. So I'm going to be p- picking your brain a little bit too probably through this year to talk about that. Next, I wanted to talk about our friendship a bit and how we became friends because i feel like our friendship is a little bit of an unlikely friendship in terms of different different generations so you're are you gen x i am gen i'm a millennial (laughs) and i feel like there's such a value in having a friend that's in a different generation than you whether it's a generation above two generations above below i think that there's really important and valuable things And one thing to get started with that, Diana and I, as she mentioned, went to Ecuador together on a service-based trip while I was in graduate school at Grand Valley State University. And there was, what, 10 of us, 10 students and two professors, right? I think that's right. I've been on several now. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But we had... and. We had such a great experience. We worked at a pediatric clinic, which as Diana said, that hasn't been a population she's worked with too much. Me neither. That was a new experience for me. We worked at a nursing home and then we also were at an orphanage and I felt like we learned a lot. And I felt like you and I had some times where we were seated together on a bus or we were at a coffee shop and we really got to talking. And one thing that really stood out to me was that the course that you took or the course that you taught for me was virtual. And so we didn't have a lot of face-to-face time when we were in the States, but then getting to know you when we were in Ecuador was really, really nice. And I, there's a distinct time at a coffee shop, I do remember, where we were sitting down and we were talking and I, I, our talk went deep, like super fast (laughs) and it was about family. I was going through a difficult time with a family illness and of a close family member and I confided in Diana and Diana was so supportive and I felt like from there straightforward her and I have become friends and we've built on that friendship. And one thing I value most about our friendship is that we can have deep conversations, but then we can also laugh and joke and talk about your dogs and talk about your daughters and It's 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 such an enriching friendship for me. So I just wanted to give some background there. But Diana, I'd love to hear your perspective on on our friendship.
1: Great. I love that you brought up the Gen X versus Millennial because because you see so many videos and memes and and how there's such discord between the two. And and honestly, you are one of a few. I have a couple of younger friends, but our friendship sort of grew, grew from from mentor to friend. And and I have appreciated it so much. I think your your mm-hmm. Uh, wise beyond your years if i, <laughs> if I uh, even even as a you know 10 years ago person you you are very introspective and insightful, and I appreciate that. That is something that I practice uh, for myself. I believe in reflection, and I believe in in turning inward to see, you know, how I can grow as a person. And you're already doing that at your young age. So I I connected with you. I think initially with that conversation. And I know you and I started chatting about jobs after you graduated, and it really did blossom from there. And I have appreciated this friendship so much, Allie. And we're at completely different stages of life. I mean, I'm closer. Could to not be more different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I. I still think we every time we we speak I I believe that we we have a great exchange and and sometimes we don't speak for a couple of months and we can fall right back into where we were and I appreciate you for that and I appreciate us for the, the friendship that it is. It's, it, it means a lot to me. And and I think we're a great example that Gen X and Millennials have a lot. <laughs> I think it's really about the person, you know? I think yeah. it, it's about the chemistry between people and their their outlook and their perspectives. And all, although those could be very different, it's about the respect of someone's experiences and what they have to share and appreciating that. And I, I think for us, that is aligned
0: and very much appreciated, you know, rec- reciprocally. So I think so too. I, Oh, it always makes me smile. So I pick a word of the year every year. Diana does you too. To me going, going Well, you started <laughs> me on that,
1: you started <laughs> me on
0: that. Yeah. I, you know, some years I'm better at my word than the other years. And I laughed because Diana sent me a text message the other day saying like, what's your word? <laughs> and it's it's ease this year in abundance, so I have two. And Diana, what's your word? My word is preservation. I love um, that word. Can you tell us can, why? It,
1: yes, because it can can sound sort of daunting, right, preservation, but preservation of my sanity, of my time, Preservation of friendships, preservation of my space and and the things, the physical things, but the emotional things as well, and maintaining those things in, in a positive way, a positive way. So preservation doesn't have to be meaning, you know, <laughs> stuffing up.
0: <laughs> yeah, taxidermy. that's, I
1: mean, that's the word. That I, yeah, the
0: Michigan people. Yeah. Yes. It's so... Yeah, a preservation is a word that I, when you said it, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the voice memo come through of what she means by this. Because, yeah, it was a word that I haven't heard. You know, you see those things online that have words of the year and they're light or e- I mean, ease was mine or peace or whatever. So I really, really like that word. And it makes me think back to 2020, what my word was release. And I had a completely different picture in my mind of what release would mean for me that year. And it obviously, as everybody knows, 2020 went in a way that many of us, none of us could have expected. And so release was a completely different, took a completely different definition than I was expecting. I was, honestly... When I thought in 2020, when I thought release, I I thought release of household items like Marie Kondo style, release of things in my routine that no longer serve me. But I didn't realize how radical the release would be that year in terms of release of my comfort, release of my peace of mind and losing a pregnancy and losing a very close family member. It was a really, really challenging year and i value putting a word to the year every year because i like getting to the end of the year seeing that word and really taking the time to journal and reflect how did the what happened with this word this year and that 2020 is the year that i think of the specific word and i think of how different it was than what i expected so i do think it's very powerful for me resolutions aren't always super sustainable so a word has been great. And I love that you do that alongside me too. So, Diana, when I first graduated from graduate school, I got a job in West Michigan. And that's where I was living at the time. And Diana had just moved from. So, she moved from West Michigan to Florida. And my husband was finishing up graduate school. And I wasn't able to find a full-time job in the area I was living in. And my husband and I both had it in our, in our back of our minds and kind of on our hearts to move out of state. That's something I really always wanted to do. And we landed on Chicago and in, in Diana is a native Chicagoan. So she, something I'll never forget and something I really value about Diana is she is direct And she (laughs) called me and said, how many jobs have you applied for in Chicago? And I remember saying to her, zero. She said, okay, go ahead and apply for a job. That's the way to get the the ball rolling. And so you really helped me in my transition to Chicago and my professional transitions, getting down there and getting started, which wasn't always easy for me, to put it lightly. And my career has... Has evolved so much, and I'm so proud of how far it's come, and I'm so grateful for all the lessons I've learned. But thank you so much for being there alongside me through these these twists and turns, and it's been really rewarding and helpful. Yeah, I I remember those days too, and I remember walking through my
1: neighborhood with the beautiful sun, and and just us having these conversations about the what ifs, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are what ifs in employment. There are what ifs. In relationships, there are what-ifs with things within our bodies and all the what-ifs. And and I, I don't remember all the details of every conversation because we had many at that time. But I remember thinking, you know what? You're stronger than you think you are. And <laughs> you just need to suck it up and do it and and you did and and I remember I remember the the push I remember I remember a couple of times when you were like no I think I'm just gonna and I said no no you're not no nope. and and those moments when you look back and I say this to my students now because I have found them to be true for me when you're uncomfortable you're growing right mm-hmm. physically mm-hmm. usually physically when we're when we're pushing ourselves physically to run further or lift heavier or or you know whatever physical thing that we're training to do emotionally and cognitively when we're struggling to grasp a concept when we're we're having to look at it three different ways till Tuesday. Emotionally when we're dealing with struggles in general, I'm a believer in higher power. I don't believe that there are accidents. I think things are placed in our path and then we have choices to make. And you know you've you've mentioned this focus where we can be focused on some of the things that bring us sadness and those that's okay. And and there there is, you know, grief has taught me a lot of things and we can talk about that too, but but we can be focused there, but we can also choose to put energy into things that could bring us joy mm-hmm. or comfort. So I think like we've talked about with everything else, it's a very OT thing, but as people... We we need balance because without we need balance outside and inside, right? We need to bring it into our bodies and we need to to balance our ourselves within. And and it can be difficult. And sometimes you need somebody to be direct. And sometimes mm-hmm. you need somebody to Check just put it, put it to you like, like <laughs> you need to hear it. Sometimes we're not willing to accept that, but also yep. respecting the boundary of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Um, if it's appropriate for us to talk about grief, Allie, but um, yeah. but I would tell you that, you know, I have I've had loss, like all of us have had. I have not had secondary infertility loss. I cannot relate to that particular loss. What I can
0: relate to is grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and can I add to grief? Like to backtrack a little bit, grief while parenting as well, because you are in a generation above me. So you, when you were going through your grief, you were a parent. When you were going through your grief that we're going to talk about here, you're, well, you are a parent, but your kids were younger then. And I think that it's really valuable for people in this community to hear, you know, whatever you're grieving Grieving while parenting is a a unique, complex type of grief. And so I'd love to for you to talk about that as well, because I know that you've experienced some really profound grief in your life when you when your kids were little. And so, yeah, I think that is going to be a very valuable perspective.
1: Yeah, well, grief, grief. For me, you know, I, I, I lost grandparents, you know, you, you do the things as, as part of, I think the cycle of life and, and not necessarily understanding it as a younger person, as an adult with my own children, I lost my brother unexpectedly in 2011. I lost my dad expectedly, who was, had a cancer diagnosis in 2013 and I lost a dear friend, one of my longest standing friendships in 2016, unexpectedly. And all of those experiences, while unique in what had happened, all brought grief. And grief has taught me lots of lessons throughout each of those experiences and further experiences that I will have in my life, I'm sure. But Two, I think of the biggest lessons that I've learned from grief. One, it's unpredictable. It's, it, 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 when you're going and moving through it, it can catch you off guard in the most unassuming ways and the most inopportune times, and it can really catch you off guard and overwhelm you emotionally, and, and that can affect you physically, and I think it's, it's okay to recognize. And I think it's, we have to move through it and experience it in order for us to continue to progress through it. Um, but you know, my kids were small. So I felt, I'm mean, at the time, I think my kids were nine and 12. And this is when, when your brother, brother, when my brother, my brother was killed in a motorcycle accident in the middle of the afternoon on an afternoon ride in California. And you know, it just took us all, I'm a, I'm a, a family of eight we were eight kids, two parents that shared a very long marriage and very tight-knit family. And so it's the first loss like this that we had experienced as a family. And I was living in Michigan. Everybody else was in Chicago, with the exception of this brother who was in California. So, it yeah, it rocked my world. I, I literally physically brought me to my knees when I got the news. and And, you know, that was okay for my kids to see, for them to see— that, that impact that someone, when you love someone that that can make on your life, but, but the unpredictability of, of the emotions and the waves as it ebbs and flows, I think I didn't really experience previously. So that was a pretty shocking thing for me to experience. The the second thing I want to say that I learned about grief is it is personal, highly personal. Don't let anybody tell you that you should be done, that it's been too long, that you shouldn't be celebrating or you shouldn't be sorry, right? because we all we all experience grief and and in, in different ways, whether that is through sadness or whether that is through memories of joy. But I think for me, I realized that it had impacted some of my friendships, in fact, people that were expecting me to be ready to move on and go back to whom I was. And we are the sum of our experiences. And this was changing me as a person. It had impacted me as a person. And so I think grief is very personal, highly personal, and to understand that it's okay if if Your time is not someone else's time. And it's okay if the way you're experiencing it or or choosing to to celebrate it is not how someone else does it because it's, it's a highly personal thing. When I lost my dear friend unexpectedly, I had to go to work the next day, found out from her daughter the night before, and we had our orientation here on campus and, or some sort of celebration anyway, and Father Michael, shout out to Father Michael again, and who was here on campus and could read my face and and inquired as to what was going on. And I shared with him what had had happened. And he said something to me that I will never forget. And I don't know if these are Father Michael's words or if this was a quote from somewhere else, but he said to me, you know what, Diana, do you know what grief is? Grief is love with nowhere to go.
0: Oh, yeah. I've heard that. I love that. Right. It
1: is so powerful if you think about why am I grieving? If I was indifferent, I wouldn't be grieving. Mm -hmm. If I didn't care and didn't love, I wouldn't be grieving. Grieving is okay. And and I guess my lesson is, is don't let anybody tell you
0: when you're done and mm-hmm. when you're ready and how you should be doing it because it's highly personal. Diana, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that and as you were, you know, we were talking yesterday too about your your dad and your brother and as we got on today and you we were I was thinking about talking about grief. I thought about your friend instantly. And I remember you telling me that, and I had a planned trip to come see you three days after that had happened. And I, we, the trip still happened, I still came down to spend time with you and your family. And I'll never forget, I felt it was so powerful to be able to be in that space with you because we talked about it, and I was. I saw you grieving and we, I remember we sat and we read this book. It was, we are very into inspirational, but like these books we get each other or cards that we send each other. And I remember I I brought you a book and you were able to say how certain things reminded you of her. And yeah, I thought it was powerful to be in that space with you and to spend that time with you. And we, it's like a holding both thing too, is that you were in the thick of grief and in we were visiting with each other and your daughters and we had a great time and you were grieving and it's a very holding both thing. And so, yeah, I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget just the things that you told me about your dad and and your brother and the ways that you navigated that. And I think it's really, it's always so powerful when people can share their grief and their perspectives on grief and messages like how personal it is and no one can tell you when to be done grieving or no one can tell you your grief is you know yeah has an end date or if it's a uh, extended family member why are you grieving longer than expected because they aren't your xyz family member yeah i think that your perspective on grief is so valuable thank you thank you so much for sharing it well thank thank you and i think
1: i think you know never undervalue the presence of of someone who cares about you either. Sometimes just being there in somebody's presence is all we need. We don't need solutions or sometimes we want someone to listen and sometimes we don't want that either. We just want someone to physically be in the space and and you being in that space for me at that time was important to me. Um but but also in general just having having a someone who means a lot and may or may not Completely understand what you're going through, being there and being present in any way is really important. So,
0: thank you. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we were able to spend that time together. And I, I remember my flight got canceled. It was uh, on my way back, going back to Chicago. So, I got a bonus day in Florida. It was leap year. So, I feel like there's another leap year coming up at the end. That was so that was eight years ago. Wow. Um, good memory you have and what I do. I know I latch onto details. That's one thing about me is I have like certain certain memories. One thing I wanted to talk about too was you had mentioned here um a little bit earlier that infertility, secondary infertility, um pregnancy loss was not something that you have been through yourself. Um but when I think about my friends and family and people that supported me during my time I think about you, and I think about, you know, specific family members that I have and trusted friends that supported me. And most of these people who come to mind did not experience this themselves. And I think that there's such power in talking about this because even though it is common, not everybody experiences it, but that does not mean that people who are friends and family in your life that haven't experienced it can't support you in exactly the way that you need And one thing that I have to say about you is that I really liked that whenever I opened up to you about what I was going through, specifically with IVF, I know infertility is not just IVF, but specifically with IVF, it's a really, really complex thing that you're going through in terms of just a complex medical experience. And one thing I really appreciated about you is that you always asked me questions like good questions. And I was happy to be able to explain things because sometimes I felt like I would get so in my head about what the process entailed. And it was really nice for me to be able to verbalize the process to someone who was genuinely interested and was asking a question because it felt, it, it helped me feel validated and seen. And I know that you're interested in healthcare and wellness and medical things. And so you would ask me questions and I'd explain to you what an egg retrieval is. (laughs) Or I'd explain to you why I was, you know, I was taking self-injections at home. And these topics, I think, sometimes people don't know what to ask. And I always really appreciated that about you is that you were genuinely interested in the process. Genuinely, like, curious and interested in the process. And the questions that you asked me were so welcomed because I feel like, speaking for myself and speaking maybe for others going through infertility or pregnancy loss, sometimes we get questions that are just so, seem like they're prying or that we don't want to answer. But I never felt that way. And I was always, I was always so, yeah, I was just always so genuinely touched that you asked me questions. Well, I appreciate that.
1: I I authentically wanted to know. Also, I think it was probably because of, the relationship that we have and that level of trust that I was able to inquire because I didn't thoroughly understand it. And, and you were willing to share because, because of the, the trust that we had built and, and the relationship that we had developed. So again, I think it goes back to having, having a, a friendship, a meaningful friendship, but, but I, I, I learned so much from, from what you shared and appreciate it so much. And it just, it just gives me another layer of understanding. So
0: yeah, no, I I'm really glad. I'm really glad for that because yeah, it like I said, it feels like such a I don't know what the word is. It feels like such a unfamiliar process to someone who hasn't gone through it or doesn't know anybody who has. But more and more I'm feeling like you every single person knows someone who's gone through IVF or IUI or had a miscarriage. I feel like it's being talked about more. In the future, my mom and my aunt are going to be on the podcast talking about their perspectives of how these things were talked about. They they are in the generation above, Diana, the baby boomer generation, talking about how these things were talked about when they were my age. And I feel like it's shifting. It's shifting a lot in, in the past several years and I feel like my generation is talking about it more. And of course, everybody shares to varying degrees. I know many women in my groups aren't, don't share about it with friends and family for whatever reason. Some do, some don't. I was not very open about my experiences while I was going through it. You know, of course, trusted family and friends, but I did not share on social media. I do now because of holding both, but it's not in real time. And there are specific things I don't feel comfortable sharing and I won't share, not because I'm embarrassed or ashamed or anything like that, but more so I I think that it's valuable to say that there's, even if you are open with your story, you have the agency and you have the decision, ultimate decision in what you put out there and what you choose to still keep private. And so... So, yeah, I think that there's, it's on the spectrum. I think it's really important that this is being talked about, whether it's on a personal level, whether it's with friends and family. And yeah, I think that you were an important part of me and my storytelling. So, thank you so much for that. Thank you. So, the last part I wanted to talk about was the people that I have on my podcast. I always love to know. What is your favorite creative outlet? What do you like to do when you have some extra time, which I know isn't always easy to come by, but what do you like to do to show your creativity?
1: Do I have to pick just one?
0: No, <laughs> you don't.
1: <laughs> Let You're her
0: in. <laughs> so well, you
1: know, when, you, when we started this, this discussion and you talked about, you know, maybe focusing on things that bring you joy, I, I immediately went there because I think, there has to be some intention with that because it it's easy to stay stuck in in certain in certain emotions and in certain even in physical places, it's easy to sit on the couch with, you know, a warm cup of coffee or tea and binge, you know, and and that there's nothing wrong with that as long as that's not an everyday, you know, thing. Yeah. But but from a creative perspective, I will say. For me, you know, health and health and wellness is is a part of my being. So that's not necessarily creative, although I suppose it could be on uh, cooking. Some levels, but though that is okay. something. cooking, yes, and I do I do enjoy that. So I enjoy that from a non health and wellness perspective to good wine and cheese and things like that. But and I, I do enjoy that. I um, I have recently found uh, a couple of newer outlets for me. It, I, I'm growing microgreens which I find are very instantly gratifying because they grow very quickly and then the outcome of 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 growing microgreens are is delightful so I really enjoy that you know it can be done in small spaces and it can be done like I said rather quickly so I have been doing that and incorporating that into my my Cooking and my meals. So that's been really fun. And that's been a creative outlet. I'm recently back to to cooking again, I, I, I feel like I took a several year hiatus from doing anything with joy for that, because it became kind of an arduous task. But, but I wouldn't call myself an artist. However, I I love the arts. I like to appreciate art. I like, and I dabble in it. You know, I don't do anything that I would sell or, but I have some things that I have painted in my home. You know, acrylic, uh, pastel. I have also done some repurposing of furniture, which I have found to be a really fun, creative outlet. Um, you know, I get my dad's palm sander. I, I, I took that um, home with me. And um, I feel like I'm channeling him. He was a carpenter and I'm very, very uh, skilled and talented at at some of those things. So I've had some fun repurposing old pieces. My did a, a dining room table for my daughter with some hairpin legs. I took a, a cable spool and made a made a little coffee table out of it with some industrial legs. It's just been a lot of fun for me. But for me, creativity is based upon mood and time. I uh, Have to be in the mood. I do a little bit of creative writing. I know you do that as well, but I don't do that on any kind of regular basis. It has to. I have to be. I have to have the feeling to do it. And sometimes that I'm in my car and I'm voice memoing myself what I want oh, to say. Oh, smart. And, That's smart. Yeah. Well, wow. you know, it comes, it pops in, and I know I'm going to forget it an hour from now. So, mm-hmm. so. But again, so- depending on my mood and the time that I have, you know, from a repurposed furniture perspective. I, I'm not in it for the long game. I don't have time for that. I don't have space for that. So it's gotta be completed in the weekend <laughs> I don't necessarily do it. But I would say to anybody, you know, I've been I've never met a craft I didn't like. Like I like arts and crafts. <laughs> I like craft shows. I like I love that. I can are, I quote I you on too.
0: that?
1: <laughs> yeah, can you <laughs> quote me on that? But but you know, so many places, and, and I have here students all the time. I, I'm not creative. You don't have to be creative, like get on Pinterest. Get on Etsy, join a crafts and drafts group, wine and painting, they're all over the place and they walk you through step by step and it can be social, it can be leisure, you can find something new that you love to do that that can take your focus from something that can be keep you stuck. To, to finding joy in, in little moments in some of the smaller things in life. Because sometimes that's all we have are little moments. And we have to very much intentionally find those moments and seek those moments out when we're not feeling like it. And I think mm-hmm. they're out there. We've got we've to gotta be intentional about it. And, and I have found great, great relief in, in those things. So, so for me, it's not any one thing. It's kind of, it changes with my mood, like I said, and the time that I have to invest and it can be as little as something small as a meal to, to spending the weekend or a couple of weekends, you know, re- refinishing an, an old piece that I thrifted that it's just a lot of fun that I'm going to give away anyway, because, you know, I'm not selling those things, but, but yeah, I, I, I really enjoy all of it. Um, I love And like that. hearing what other people are doing too. I know you do some creative writing and um,
0: other things. Yeah. I want to get, I, I love that you brought up Pinterest too, because I want to get back onto Pinterest. I have recently moved into a new house and there's so many projects that I want to do. And I feel like that's been the way that I've been creative recently is looking at different rooms and envisioning what I want. And everybody's, not everybody, but I've gotten pointed in the direction of Pinterest over and over and over. So I think I'm going to look into that and get onto that tonight because, yeah, I feel like there's such a therapeutic nature in cre- being creative, and I want to tap tap into that more. So. Wow. And the small yeah. moments, like you said. I feel like one of my big messages that I have for people is a message that was relayed to me by my therapist. When I was in a very tough season, and I refer back to 2020, 2021 a lot, like beginning of 2021. And I think sometimes a message that is put across is go on a vacation if you need a break or which, as we said, I value travel. I love it. But I haven't. During that time, it was very not accessible to me to go on a vacation or really even to have a night away with my spouse. Like that just wasn't going to be happening because we were in the thick of the pandemic When I was an essential worker, I can't really be around others during that thick of that time. And so my therapist said, what are you going to do? You know, these big things, these big go-to things are off the table for you right now. But that doesn't mean that you can't soften the edges. So what are you going to do? Where are you going to carve out portions of your day, even if it's a couple minutes, to soften your edges and and find some joy? What is it going to be? So for me, that was sitting down with a cup of coffee, writing in the mornings, or a lot of it revolves around coffee. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. But yeah, like a a warm beverage, uh, stopping at a drive through getting some coffee, or taking a drive with my son and listening to music. Music is, I think, one of my creative outlets. Listening to, appreciating. I used to play the violin. I love music. And... Yeah. That type of stuff helped me soften the edges. And I think that there's so much power in that because I think that gets overlooked a lot, the small yeah. things that make your day. Yeah.
1: And and again, the intention.
0: For for me, I,
1: I have to be intentional. We get busy. You just don't necessarily look outside and say, oh my goodness, look at that sky. It is Beautiful, and I am intentionally looking for those things. And I think the practice of gratitude has really helped me too. You know, um, waking up and you know some of those days that you just you don't feel like anything is good. Finding three things, even if it is that that sweet sugary coffee. We like our coffee the same, Al. I know that. So
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah. Did you see my poll the other day on what's the spectrum of where do you like your coffee? Like mine. Mine is as light as it gets. <laughs> I know. My husband says I see you like you like to have a little coffee with your
1: creamer, and that's what he said. So, oh yeah. 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 No,
0: I, I I love that too. Just finding the finding the small joys in the day. I remember I used to go on walks with my grandma in the mornings, and she, every every morning we'd go on a walk together. She would make us stop so many times to to look at what I thought were seemingly very small things. She'd say, you know, oh, look, this is so beautiful, children. And we'd snicker and we'd, you know, how kids, little kids are. But it, whenever I stop and take walks and notice a flower or notice the the specific flowers she used to point out, like pansies or like the very specific things that she used to point out, I feel like that goes so far. And as as I've mentioned, my my family and my grandma experienced very profound and untimely grief and the fact that she was able to point out beautiful things and often be the life of the party gave me such a good example of what it's truly like to hold both. So I am so, I'm so grateful for the conversation that we had today. I'm grateful for our friendship and I want to thank you sincerely so much for being on my podcast.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you.
0: I appreciate you too. I hope you found this episode of the secondary infertility podcast to be meaningful. One of the best ways to support me and my show is to rate and leave a review. For more secondary infertility content, please come find me at holdingboth on Instagram. That's H-O-L-D-I-N-G-B-O-T-H on Instagram. Thank you.